You're listening to Money Talks. My name is Mike Campbell. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment, no fees in the tech sector. If you want more information, go to soleraclub.com. Well, I've been looking forward to this all week. Jim Dines, the legend, is with me right now, author, editor of The Dines Letter. Jim, first of all, appreciate you taking the time. You've been busy this week. Yeah. Let, let's start. we got to get right to it. Time's always too short. But when you were last with us, in October, you reiterated the advice you had been given, given, giving rather to your subscribers before that August decline, and that is to hold a major cash component. Well, you know what? I think most people would agree that's a pretty good idea. And, uh, you know, we're going to get to the Dow Utilities, Transport, and Gold in just a minute. But first, can I get your general take on the stock market right now? Yeah, you know, I reviewed my reviewed my tape of, uh, of the show last October 9th, and uh, I was not only pessimistic on the market, I was recommending entirely in cash. and uh, But I was also yeah. very patiently waiting for a buy signal on gold and silver. And uh, since then, there's been an internal crash in the market. It doesn't show up in the averages. And uh, we flashed a buy signal on gold and silver two weeks ago in a dimes letter. So uh, that sums up my position uh, pretty well. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was surprised with the, you know, a couple of things as we went through here. I'm, I'm glad I, you know, to have been in cash myself. But, you know, we've got these low interest rate, record low interest rates, and uh, and it looks like now, you know, yeah, they raised them in December, but it looks like with Janet Yellen this week, she's going to sort of maybe give herself an out for raise further. I mean, certainly the economy isn't pushing ahead with any great strength. There's other global issues. I was surprised when I looked at the Dow Utilities average that it wasn't stronger. I think maybe I thought people might be gravitating to something like that. Uh, that's very perceptive of you. To answer that, let me back up a little bit. Um, uh, last October, uh, the first thing I did was review gold's historic bull market uh, for an amazing dozen years without a single down year. That was from around 2000 to 2012. And luckily, we sold out near golds and silvers tops. This is all in writing. And as I said, I was waiting to buy gold and silvers back. And uh, when we flashed our buy signal, uh, looking for a rally, the golds immediately jumped higher. So uh, hopefully it was a lucky guess. But if it does work out, in coming weeks, we'll add more golds and silvers to our recommended lists. And the reason involves that rally in the utilities. I'll come back to that in a second. Meanwhile, just since the last few weeks, Silver Wheaton has risen 53%, Agnico Eagle up 73%, and Barrick 114%. And that's serious money in a short time. So while I think uh, gold and silvers are near a major low, I'm still not entirely certain yet that this gold rise will be the long-term bottom I've been waiting for. I'll get back to that also, uh, because I do expect a profit-taking dip uh, for the uh, best buying uh, uh, opportunity in gold and silver yet. But my second insight is that golds will be driven by the competing currency devaluations. Uh, now, all nations are trying to push their currencies down to get an exporting advantage. And uh, I've long predicted the these competing currency devaluations would be a fool's race to the bottom, zero. In my book, The Invisible Crash, I don't have any for sale, but it's available on the Internet. The bottom near zero is here. 
And that is causing certain things to happen. For example, the Fed has no idea what to do next. Of course not. Lowering interest rates and trying to create a little inflation is pathetic. The feds of the world are trying, they're trying again to boost inflation. They're speechless for a change. Begging and whining why look lower interest rates isn't working. Mike, you need to tell them this is a deflation and you can't inflate during a deflation. The uh, feds are riding, are riding the horse backward instead of the way the horse is going. So, and this is leading to desperation of, uh, of uh, seeking for income, any income. Uh, so far, however, here's my plan. Gold's first wave it rose from $35 to $850. Its second wave from $200 to $1,700. And now I again predict my next wave target for gold will be at at least $3,000 to $5,000 an ounce. Believe it or not, no one believed my previous predictions, but that was it. And we sold silver at $46. It's in writing in the Dimes letter of 27 April 2011. And my predicted long-term target for silver so far is still above $100 an ounce. Platinum and palladium will join in also. So I've, I've struggled in my entire career for a currency link between gold and other tangibles, silver or even oil. But because there's no link, currencies are fluctuating against each other based on mass psychology, which is ridiculous because currencies need to be a stable yardstick. Uh, Canada's currency being lower than America's is your trade advantage, but Americans can buy Canadian assets at a discount. This is crazy. Two years ago, some Canadians were buying real estate in Palm String, Springs with a strong Canadian dollar, but not now. And this all fulfills my prediction in the invisible crash of the coming competing currency devaluations and the coming gold crisis with sky-high gold prices, which will have an impact on other areas of the market. You see, after every great inflation, tell this to the Fed, after every great inflation, there must follow a great deflation to liquidate the money only printed rather than earned by work. And finally, I can tell you my uh, the Dines letter specific gold recommendations we recommended, but they're for paying subscribers. But I will share with you that the next big gold bull market will include Canadian stocks for sure. And I think the answer to your question on utilities is a very smart one, and it's because of a stampede, a panic for income. And it has other ramifications. And I, I'll have to cut. Let me cover that when I, when I discuss stocks and commodities. Well, maybe it's a good time then to take a break because I, I want to discuss those immediately. I'm talking with James Dines, the DinesLetter.com, a legendary analyst, the godfather of so many of the technical tools that we use in the markets today, uh, really uh, in that pantheon of uh, first guys out of the gate with the technical analysis which wasn't popular by the way on wall street but that's we don't have time for that story today jim dines my guest i'll come back right here on money talks you're listening to money talks my name is mike campbell jim dines is with me that's who you're here to listen to jim just before the break you said just before i get to stocks and commodities and i want to throw a wide open question there you take us where you want with that one well as i said uh, uh 
before last October, I was very bearish, and I, I even said that whether you're rich or whether you're poor, it's good to have a lot of cash. And uh, we were saying that all of 2015. But the sudden plunge this year, just a, a short period of time, has already confirmed that cash would be king. And those who are now in debt and without enough cash should vow to choose to do it differently in the next cycle. But I'd like to show, I'd like to share how I knew three years ago that a bear market would emerge from out of nowhere. Above all, my key perception was my sell signal on China three years ago because its infrastructure had been done. So I was predicting a crash uh, in China, alone in the world, still disbelieved that China's bank and real estate sectors would lead its way down. I, I know nobody else is saying it, but that's, that's my position. Now, fortunately, infrastructure growth by India and Africa will pick up the slack, but not yet. So the raw materials section uh, that began, the, cra the raw materials crash that began around 2013 uh, will, uh, will end and we will have another tremendous rise because so much uh, capacity uh, has uh, shut down and, and uh, a lot of things on care and maintenance will be revived. But since then, uh, in, uh, since 2013, everybody in those fields have lost money from copper to oil. There was no place to hide. Didn't matter. In fact, one of my clues of impending trouble was the transport average was down despite low oil prices. Now, this violates the rule. Their biggest expense is oil uh, fuel. So obviously, I, I suspected that there had to be a bigger factor and it had to have been a recession uh, that would be uh, overriding uh, everything else. So the feds diddled with interest rates, useless because the correct cause of infrastructure was not correctly identified by them. So the feds cut interest rates to stimulate the economy, which doesn't work, didn't work, and then they cut it again and again, all the way down to zero, still no stimulus. And finally, the crackpots at the Fed cut them to below zero. So I watched this in eye-rubbing disbelief. A penalty to deposit, to deposit money in a bank? A penalty to buy a bond? What fool would buy a bond at a guaranteed loss? You know, I'll tell you something, Mike. Someday they're going to wake up and ask, what was I thinking? Now, they're so desperate for income and safety. And uh, they've been trying to make it up in the stock market, but now they're hurting there. So they, uh, the investors uh, seeking in income and safety have bid up old bonds to sky-high high risk levels. And even uh, utilities, that's why the utilities are up. It's desperate buying to overpriced stocks for safety, which is also nuts because at these prices with bonds yielding a fraction of 1%, 30-year bonds sometimes yielding almost nothing after taxes especially. I mean, uh, they even bought junk bonds. Now, these have finally already begun to crash. So... Again, because they don't fit the safety and income uh, paradigm. So if you take a look at the junk bonds, you'll see that they're devastating the, uh, 
the funds and the hedge funds that have been buying them. And you've suddenly seen the word haven appearing in the press and media. So investors are willing to just break even if they can just keep their money. They're willing to not have income. So this is what the government has driven driven us. Oh, there's even they're even buying one of the haven buy uh, things they're buying are Japanese yen, which is just paper they're just printing. And this is from by a nation with an unpayably high debt. I mean, uh, although. Uh, uh, Although America, who is America to talk? I mean, no, we're doing it also. But anyway, um, the Japanese yen is uh, is going to drop to the point where it's not even going to be an urge. But meanwhile, the market averages are down too, which does forecast the economy. But it, it does not reveal the internal crash. So I asked my research to to de- uh, determine uh, some of the declines and they calculated some of the recent top favorites. Listen to this. Priceline down 30%. Amazon, this is just this year, down 32%. Netflix down 33%. Bank of America down 38%. Regeneron down 40%. Tesla down 45%. Proofpoint down 52%. Splunk down 55%, LinkedIn down 62%, Six, uh, Tableau down 63%, and former darling Solar City, one of Musk's relatives uh, running it, is down 71%. This is just, just down since last November. I mean, there have to be people who are really hurting out there. And I'm talking about major hedge funds, rich people have, who are looking at these big craters in their portfolios and these drops themselves are a contraction of the money supply and this alone will cause a recession plus the politicians are bashing banks and wall street you've got a socialist as a possible american president who should be surprised i mean i don't see how anybody could be surprised at a bear market but there will be a bottom. The cheaper, the more they go down, the cheaper they get. It'll be a great buying opportunity. And I, at that point, I hope to sell golds at a profit and buy these bargains. So, I, I, Okay, sorry. I was just going to say we've got to take a break in about two minutes. But I want to just, because I want to get to gold again here, but uh, come back just for a second. I mean, it, obviously, uh, you know, the suggestion to stay in cash is still on the table at this point, other than, as I say, we'll get to gold in just a moment. But uh, I'm talking about the broad market kind of thing. I mean, those numbers are absolutely shocking about that level of decline since November. Right. I, I, I Obviously. So... That gets me back to the world stock markets. They've plunged and the utilities have risen. And so even groups tend to move together. And I call it DUPAT, the Dines Wolfpack theory. That's based on mass psychology. And you're getting now a mass stampede out of the stock market and into anything that looks like a haven. And this is the key reason. I'm liking the gold, silver, platinum, and palladium complex again. And by the way, Jim just mentioned mass psychology, one of my absolute staples when people say, I need to read a book about the market. Mass psychology is the name of that book because uh, you have to understand it to get these moves, both upwards and downwards uh, within this context. Uh, 
Jim, as I say, we've got to take a break in just about a minute and a half here, so I don't want to you know, get too far into this, um, but it sounds to me also like the bond market's a dangerous place. Yeah, people buy security of income, but what they're not looking at is uh, is the uh, is the price of that income flow, and that is sky high. And you also uh, let me start talking about the stock market itself because that really reflects on the bond market. The bond market won't help you. You'll get secure income all right, unless you're buying it at a, at a deficit. In which case you're going to you're going to lose your money for sure. We've but, only got about you know, a minute here. Okay, I, you know nobody can predict the major market trends unless you adjust them for inflation, and that's the trick governments use to deceive the public. Uh, and for example, I want to get into the uh, the long term chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and uh, let's call it the DJI. Okay, let's 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 wait at that because this is a very important point you're making that I don't know anyone else who's been making it on such a consistent basis than Jim Dines. You can find him at thedinesletter.com. I got to take a break. I will come back. Jim is my guest. Uh, great stuff. I will get one more shot on gold. We'll come right back to that point he's making about the stock market. All very important for people to understand, as I say. And by the way, if you've missed any part of this interview, you want to re-listen to it, just go to moneytalks.net, moneytalks.net with Jim Dines. I'll be back in just a moment more with Jim on the Chorus Radio Network. Coming up, i got a shocking stat of the week, got a goofy award and Aussie Jurek, but right now, the famous Jim Dines is with me, the DinesLetter.com, author of so many books. I just talked about mass psychology is absolutely on the short list for anyone who wants to understand what's gone on with the markets. Uh, Jim, before the break, we're going to get a quick comment, and I know it's something you've been writing about, and I haven't seen it elsewhere, and that is the Dow Jones averages. But when you adjust them for inflation, tell a very different story. That's right. That's the trick governments use to, dis- to deceive the public. If you take a, a long-term chart of the Dow Jones average, uh, as I said before, you can call it the DJI. Uh, it's in my letter. It shows a tremendous uptrend since 1982, lasting around 33 years. But adjusted for inflation, it stopped rising around 2000. And uh, these two charts of the normal Dow and then or adjusting it for inflation, you can see that it stopped rising. And in fact, since 2000, the Dow has only up 10%, which means 1%, less than 1% a year, which is a much different picture than the rosy one that they're, uh, that they're showing. And uh, those of you who follow my newsletter, turn to page 43 of our big uh, annual forecast issue and look back to where we warned of a super major top sell in 1999, and that's the main tide. And this 17-year flat uh, after a long rising market, looks like a top, a big one, not just a major, but what I call a super major. And but Charles Dow required confirmation by the Dow Transport Average. Um, not everybody knows who Charles Dow is. He was the first editor of the Wall Street Journal uh, in 1897, and he was the first one to think of putting stocks in an average. And uh, I've studied a lot of his writing. Uh, very few people do anymore, but he had he was a, a genius, far-sighted genius. Anyway, one of my uh, one of my clues, uh, as I said before, was turning negative uh, in December 2014, 
was when the Dow Jones average turned down, we flashed the sell signal on it, despite, I remember being baffled, the lower fuel prices, but I knew there was something much bigger coming. But my work with the Dow's theory also includes the Dow utility average, which didn't exist in Dow's time, but it has turned up recently, and those dividend payments for secure income, again, is a haven for savings and investors. And this is driving them to overpriced hikes, and both are destined to go to much lower levels. They're false havens. But there's something more important happening, and that is now in Canada. It's demoralized. Everything's down. Raw materials are in a historic crash. Uh, the prices are, prices of things are down in, in, a, in a deflation. The Canadian dollar is down. Stocks are down. And you know what? That's good because that's a sign of a bottom based on the Dines theory of positive negativism, which is dipod. You know, there's, there's no exploration and development, or not no, but uh, there's very little reduced, let's put it that way. The uh, cost of the mining companies are at rock bottom. They're on care and maintenance if they're smart. And now it's a question you, uh, a lot of the people in the mining business read my letter. Now is the time to survive. Executives should be nurturing your cash, cut costs, be stingy, and be patient. Because when this thing turns around, I can predict to you now, you will see a fantastic rise in raw materials. Personnel will be hard to find. Exploration was down. You're going to see a, a turnaround. Listen, I've seen lots of bulls and bear markets in my time. And I know that after any of these deep recessions, the upturn is exceptionally steep. Uh, you're watching that in gold now. Look what just happened. I told you before, uh, I mentioned before that uh, that the gold stocks have had leaps in the last two weeks. And that's what's going to happen to the mining industry. So you executives or inv and investors too, pay attention to the next buy signal because it's going to be fast. And you need to start lining up your personnel now. Think ahead. Don't just be walking around with the gloom and doomers. Is uh, you can't uh, you can't have an upturn in an economy without things with which to build. You need raw materials. Nothing happens without raw materials, and China's not the beginning and end of the world. They are in their own particular crash. I'm very bearish on China. There's nobody else in the world who would agree with me on that. But that's where I, I'm not afraid to be alone, and that's the truth. So I would say to the Canadian the Canadians listening to me out there. Don't be demoralized. Watch what's happening with calm intelligence and say to yourself, this is not the first time there's been a bear market in commodities. This is not the first time there has been a crash in commodities. And there will be more. And they're all alike. They're all alike. Think back to the last few. When it comes and turns, you need to be there with you. You need to be ready, knowing which stocks to buy. I mean, look what's happened, uh, for example, uh, to uh, a Freeport McMoran down from $50 to $4. This is some heck of a crash. And is it a buy? Yes, it is. If, if it's, if they survive. So you have that to worry about. If you can just buy the ones that make it and you executives make sure you make it, don't throw in the towel. Don't just sit, sit there and pay yourself salaries uh, while the money lasts. This is the time to slash salaries and cut back hard and be smart and patient because the survivors will make fortunes.
Jim Dines is my guest. Jim, as always, uh, terrific that you find time for us across the country here on Money Talks. Uh, always much appreciated. Uh, hope we can chat again soon. I hope so, too, Mike. Keep up the good work. It's, you're, a, you're a bright light in Canada. I wish we had one of you. and We'll take you here in America anytime. <laughs> Oh, great stuff. Thanks very much. The Dines Letter, www.dinesletter.com, www.dinesletter.com. But as I say, get a hold of the book, Mass Psychology, Invisible Crash, fantastic book, uh, so many others with Jim Dines. I've got to take a break. I'll come back. Shocking stat right here on Money Talks. Coming up, I've got my quote of the week. I've got Ozzy Jurek. I've got a Goofy Award. Victor Dare will be back with us next week. Time now, though, for my shocking stat of the week. There's lots of talk about expanding mandatory contributions to the Canada Pension Plan. Been on the agenda the last two years, gaining momentum. Had a big provincial uh, meeting about that. And they've also got Ontario, who wants to start their own Ontario Pension Plan. Now, the big rationale is that there's a big cost savings for individuals if they can take advantage of the Canada Pension Plan economy of scale, you know, their infrastructure expertise. But here's the thing. Recent research study done by former StatsCan head Philip Cross, did it for the Fraser Institute, makes clear that the Canada Pension Plan actually has higher costs than they looked at the next five big public sector plans. And it wasn't even close, by the way. So that brings me to my shocking stat here. In 2000, the Canada Pension Plan investment arm had six employees. Got that? By 2006, that six had grown to 164 and today, it has more than 1,000 employees. I was absolutely blown away when I saw that. And here's this. Looking at this, thanks to uh, columnist Andrew Coyne, who presented this. Looking at the average salaries for managers. Okay, go back again to the year 2000. You know what the average was? 220 grand. That's what the average salary was. But by 2007, that average salary had grown from 220,000 to 1.56 million on average. You know what it is? 2014, the latest we got numbers for? $3.3 million average salary. And you know what? I I think the Canada Pension Plan is extremely secure, by the way. But their their performance, I don't think, has justified that kind of growth. i got to admit, I was absolutely, as I say, I was shocked by the growth in both the number of workers, but that explosion in salaries. My own money in my registered retirement savings. That's my shocking stat for the week. A very quick reminder, by the way, if you want to listen, re-listen to Jim Dines or, of course, Michael Levy, um, you know, the great stuff that we've presented. I thought it was uh, fascinating by Colin talking about our big idea of the day from VentureWorks. Uh, so lots to go on. All you have to do is go to moneytalks.net. And I'm really asking you, I, I want you to listen to the midweek interview that I do, but the other thing is listen to the business comments. I think we need to change the discussion. I'm not saying you should agree with what I've got to say but I think we need to change the discussion here dramatically. So I hope you take the time to listen to uh, the business comments when you go to moneytalks.net. Take a break. I'll come back. Aussie Jurek, so much to talk about. This whole idea of uh, the assignment clause is pushing real estate prices higher in the Vancouver area, a big topic. I'm going to ask him about that. Plus, i got a goofy award, and I've got my quote of the week. All of that coming your way. Stay with us. We're getting Aussie Jurek in a minute, but let me give you my quote of the week. Uh, this is interesting. My personal experience is that the easiest way to derail a ton of the talk goes on. You just ask somebody, hey, can you give me the economic research you used? Did you, can you give me the financial facts that you're doing? Because, you know, unfortunately, way too many people aren't interested in whether it's the economic history or the financial research. They're pushing a political power agenda. 
and what do facts and research have to do with it, that brings me to my quote of the week. Martin Luther King Jr., in quotes, Nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. I like that one. Ozzy Jurek joins me on the line right now. Ozzy, so much talk out in the Vancouver area of this thing of assignment clauses making a big push and one of the big reasons that real estate at the upper end is so high. I just wanted to start and talk to you about that. Maybe start with what is the clause, really? Well, the clause would be, say, the buyer reserves the right to assign this contract on or before closing. And it has been in existence forever. I mean, it's nothing illegal about it. It's similar to a stock option or future trading. I mean, to say that that is uh, uh, changing the market is, is nonsense. I mean, assignments have been prevalent all over the world. When I was in Taiwan in, in the mid-'80s uh, running a construction company, uh, the units uh, sold three or four times during the construction period, and all, the, all by way of an assignment. But in Vancouver, we've probably seen it primarily in the condo market since 1995. So you buy a pre-sale condo, and before you close it, you assign the contract at a profit because market values have gone up. The key is this. The speculator that gets the assignment can also lose money. From 2008 to 2009, when our market went to pot, you know, the assignments lost probably all of the money that they paid for, for the right to close at a, at a higher price. So now, is this different, though? I mean, we're in a marketplace now at the upper end where you're seeing a lot of foreign buying, principally uh, coming out of China. Uh, I would assume they have to rely on what the agent broker is saying. Or the other one is, you know, if the broker is the beneficial owner, whether through themselves or through someone else, I mean, that's what the Globe and Mail ran in a big story, or at least implied, uh, you know, talking about sort of shady dealings in Vancouver. 100%, and that's the key. I mean, you know, the, as an agent, you have a duty to get the best price for the seller. And if you sell it literally overnight, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, you haven't done the proper exposure because if you don't advertise or you didn't advise the owner to at least wait, say, till an open house, like you list it tonight and sell it tomorrow, then it's maybe, uh, you know, your job is not to get a double-ended commission. Your job is to get the best price. And the other thing, of course, is we're not talking about the, sh- the shady deals when we have fake addresses out there to hide maybe money laundering. And the Real Estate Council has now been appointed by the province, which is a good thing because the council is a governing body and it has outside members outside from the industry. And to look at these fraudulent deals, but it's not so much the assignment at the problem, it's that the, the realtor or the person that is flipping against the owner. When the, instead of getting the best price for the owner, he either assigns it to himself or assigns it to a friend, and then their benefit, uh, knowing full well that the property is, is at a higher price. Uh, yeah, and, that, and I think that's the point. As you say, the assignment clause has been there forever, but when you talk about uh, somebody who's giving advice to the seller and that advice is clearly incorrect, and they're the beneficiary of that. You know, they, they tell me to sell it for a million, and they turn around and sell it for 1.3 you know, uh, you know, after giving the advice or I have a fiduciary responsibility to give the correct advice, that's where it gets uh, unethical. Yeah, and the Real Estate Act is fairly clear. You have to have adequate exposure. I mean, the seller can actually sue you, but you're in default of the act. You can be fined. You can lose your license uh, from the council, and you can be sued by the former owners. And I would say 99% of the realtors are, are not in that category, but the, those that are should be definitely be pursued. And and in that regard, I would agree that shady dealing can be the problem because quite often also the person from China, the buyer, isn't even here. And he totally relies on the friend or the friend's agent on, on what the values are, and he or she may be paying too much to begin with. But it is, a, it is a mad market. There's no question about it. Hey, let's go to hot property quickly. 
We got six units in uh, Vernon uh, on at 529.9. Uh, we got 11 units in Vernon at 899, and we got a duplex in uh, Nanaimo uh, for 409,000. All of them, I think, uh, worth a look. And, and as we say, those are always what Ozzy identifies, something that we might want to have a good look at uh, and uh, see if it fits. Those all sound like income-producing properties uh, you know, on that side of the game. And as I say, just talked to Jim Dines about this record low interest rates. And again, we say the theme of money talks for uh, years has been they're forcing people into doing other things. Real estate at least has been uh, rewarding on that regard. Yeah, no question about it. But everybody's looking for yield, a certain degree. Yeah. Ozzy Jurek, go to jurek.com. Uh, all sorts of stuff going on with Ozzy. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Mike. Time now for the Goofy Award. And uh, keep in mind, thanks to Ozzy, by the way, my thanks to Jim Dines, my thanks uh, uh, you know, to Michael Levy uh, doing that. And as I say, I invite you to go back and have a good look at the uh, big idea of the day with Colin. He's uh, joined us from AdventureWorks. Uh, you know, Colin Bokett. So, anyways, you can go to moneytalks.net. And, of course, Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment. That means you get paid first. There's no fees attached to it. And it's in the tech area. So, for more information, go to soleraclub.com. Time now for this week's Goofy Award. This is my Super Bowl Goofy. Most Canadians, or a lot of Canadians, I think it was about 10 million or so, 9 or 10 million Canadians watched the game. But it goes to the media led by CBS. Did you see this after the game, relentlessly asking Broncos quarterback Peyton Manning if he's retiring? I mean, it was just so clueless. Talk about time and place. Now, luckily, true to form, Peyton didn't want to become the story. As he said, relentlessly, this was about the team effort. Great defense. Vaughn Miller, he was a star. And he didn't want to become tomorrow's headline. But there was Jim Nance in the post-game interview repeating the question the CBS reporter asked just minutes after the game, is this your last one? I mean, can you imagine the headline? If he says, yes, that's my last game. Presto, all of a sudden, the coverage of his retirement supersedes much of the team's victory. Well, as I say, thankfully, Peyton answered the question with skill. But still, CBS gets my goofy. You've got to get this. They put not only Peyton in a tough spot, but asking the question was part of their agenda. It was for their benefit, so they had a story, so they could feed the news beast. It certainly wasn't about the fans, Peyton, or the rest of the Denver organization. And as I say, I just thought it was tiresome and totally inappropriate. Classic example of them being on their own agenda, and certainly not the public. So CBS gets my Goofy Award. That's all the time we have today. I just, again, want to remind you there's so much going on on moneytalks.net these days. I mean, uh, I hope you're keeping track and taking advantage of it. I mean, right now you've got the global panic continues. You know that the Nikkei index is down 17% in seven trading days? Got a lot on gold and silver, as we just discussed with Jim Dines. And, again, you want to rehear that Jim Dines interview, please go to moneytalks.net. You'll be able to click on right away. Well, give us a few minutes to put it up there. We've also got the... Constant business comments. I make them five days a week. You should read some of my email. Don't have time to give it to you right now, but I hope you do that. Plus, I do a midweek report. This last week was about a warning. Uh, the weak economic growth numbers, the record kind of low interest rates, all of this is part of a profound change. That's a big theme on Money Talks. Go out and have a terrific weekend. I appreciate you listening.